0: This is Movies, a podcast about the act of cinema. With me today is Hans. Hans, how are you doing? Hello, hello. I'm pretty good. How's it going? And uh, we have a special guest here for this episode. We have Jack from the Perfume Nationalist. Is it? Are you the Perfume Nationalist or is it the Perfume Nationalist podcast? Is it your, you and your brother, the collective you do?
1: Um, I'm the Perfume Nationalist, but it's also just the title of the podcast because I thought it was a funny title. <laughs>
0: it just stuck. You've really become... Like one of the big tastemakers, from my perspective anyway on Twitter, where you'll talk about like a movie on your show, and then I'll see on Twitter within like the next week or two, a lot of people will also be discussing that movie. So usually something like th- that's obscure or like not being discussed at the moment. Like I, I, I noticed that with Midnight Cowboy, uh, <laughs> a lot of Gone with the Wind talk, long after um, you know, the HBO Max controversy where they shoot a warning in front of it or whatever. So very cool to have you on the show today And talk about this this classic movie Exorcist II: The Heretic Four years ago The Exorcist Shocked the world Now the struggle between good and evil Goes on
2: Exorcist 2 The Heretic Linda Blair Richard Burton Louise Fletcher, Max Vencito, James Earl Jones, Exorcist
0: II, The Heretic. When I proposed it to you, you said you loved Exorcist II, The Heretic, right?
1: Yeah, I've always loved Exorcist II since I first saw it. Um, I prefer it a lot to the more acclaimed Exorcist III as well, but the... Exorcist franchise on whole, uh, the Exorcist has had a bigger impact on my life than almost any movie. Um, I saw about five minutes of it on TNT uh, that didn't even involve like possessed Reagan when I was in fourth grade. And it gave me what I now recognize as a kind of mild obsessive compulsive disorder Uh, where I was obsessed with the idea of getting possessed and would, like, repeat things in my head. It drove me crazy. I would have, like, panic attacks if I saw, like, the cover, uh, you know, in the video store. And then in fifth grade, um, it was re-released. The trailer came out. Um, The trailer surprised me at, like, 10 p.m. on TV, and I was like, no, no, this isn't the (laughs) It's just popping up. But then I took an interest in it because everybody was talking about it, and my parents bought me a copy of the book, and I read it on a camping trip in two nights, um, and then I watched it for the first time on a little uh, portable like TV that plugged into um, the cigarette lighter of the car with like mm-hmm. a VCR built into it, and I loved it, and I've you know I still have Exorcist nightmares like once a year though. <laughs> That's what I was gonna ask. Wait, are you obsessed
2: about getting? Possessed? Do you mean because you're afraid of it, or because you want to throw up green sludge and masturbate Mm -hmm. your vagina with a
1: crucifix? No, no, I was uh, just very. I've always been very like innately, like strangely religious. (laughs) Like I'm, I'm, I'm Baptist. I grew up Baptist, but uh, I've always had a big, very intense fear of evil, and like the the Exorcist does not affect atheists and <laughs> people who don't have this innate like fear of evil in the same way i've found you know right
0: yeah i i actually had uh somewhat of a similar experience because i was fresh out of like making communion in sunday school at the time and then i catch the accent like I, I saw the the version you've never seen before when it first came out and it was out on dvd and i got it at walmart or something it terrified me and i wound up getting the book I think I left the book on like my neighbor's stoop because I thought there were just bad vibes about having the book in the house. Uh, and it was a fear for a while. You couldn't get rid of and it. And all copies
1: like of the book fall open to the exact same page, the yeah. crucifix. Like, <laughs> that's the part everyone goes to first.
0: I wound up seeing this movie for the first time, I think when I was about 14 years old. Uh, I caught it at the video store and I didn't know what to make of it at the time. I still really don't know what to make of it now. I don't think it's a—well, Hans, you, you, you didn't really like this movie. I, I have mixed feelings about it. I think it's kind of—creatively, um, I think it's very interesting. Uh, and it's certainly ambitious. And uh, f- for, like, John Borman to handle the property after William Friedkin, I think he does something that is just completely opposite of it. And it doesn't seem like somebody who—I th- I, I, I don't want to say that doesn't respect— the, the more supernatural ideas that are in that first movie. But that's kind of the impression I, I got on a recent viewing of this, or my most recent viewing of this, where he tries to I, turn it into something else. Go ahead, Hans.
2: I, I don't want to say I hated it or that I didn't like it. I was just very confused by it, because I didn't know exactly what I was supposed to feel or how I was supposed to take it. Uh, it felt like the, all the horror elements from the first one Uh, they took some of it and kind of uh, expanded on them like what they did with everything that they do with Africa and all that uh, visually speaking at least but I was very confused with the like the two stories kind of going together at the same time and then related that to Reagan and then when Pazuzu is nice and then when he's not and like I I was very confused by by the end of it so I I I, w- I didn't know exactly what to make. It's the, the first time I ever saw it too, so I, I didn't even know what to expect. Not very familiar with the with the sequels either. Still haven't seen three, uh, but yeah, I was mostly confused by the end uh, because uh, after two hours, I was just like, "What did I? What was that?"
0: <laughs> no, it, it, it definitely is not a movie that makes things uh, clear. You kind of have to figure that out by just in, intently watching it and paying it, maybe rewatching it. Uh, I don't know. We're kind of bashing it, though. Jack, what is it that you like about this movie?
1: Okay, first of all, I like that this is The Exorcist, but free of the element that I dislike most about The Exorcist, which is William Peter Blatty. Um, even though he wrote the book, and I think the book is good, the aspect of the original that I always really found annoying is the detective character, who's very like precious and literary. Um, I also... Don't I, I absolutely hate Twinkle Twinkle Killer Kane, which has kind of a following, which he directed, but he gives this kind of like precious literary quality to everything. I like that Borman came in and uh, really just inserted himself into this franchise as an excuse to do something really wide ranging and crazy. Um, I love its completely insane ambition that would only occur in the 70s. I generally like sequels and remakes that totally disrespect the source or choose source material that's bad or imperfect to begin with. Like, I prefer the Luca Guadagnino Suspiria to the original Suspiria. Um, But this just is so stylish. It's like this, like, bizarro disco Eyes of Laura Mars. Mirrored ceilings, kind of thing, mixed up with Africa. You know, it it doesn't make sense. I've seen it three times. I'm sure if you study it enough, it makes sense. But Borman is such a visionary. um I'm a huge fan of Zardoz. Like basically all the the Borman movies that were really savaged after he had a massive hit with Deliverance, uh, which is insane in its own way. And it's insane that there was a time when audiences flocked to that movie. <laughs> and that was like a blockbuster. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah like the great. kind of ambition that you see in Zardoz and the totally like uh, crazy schizo vision in Zardoz is, is the same as you see here.
0: And I think it's interesting that the production of this movie started out, I think, embracing the elements that you dislike, specifically like the, the literary detective uh, mm. elements of that first film, where they were essentially going to do uh, for the second movie, like a TV recap episode where it's just, we're going to go around and we're going to interview all the characters from the first movie and show unused footage from that film in alternate angles. So they just, they knew it was a bad idea to begin with and they just went ahead anyway and they were going to do it in like the least creative manner. So for it to wind up in the hands of John Borman and do something that stands completely on its own, it's unlike anything from that first Exorcist or any of the, the sequels that came after that, which try to, like, desperately cling on to that vibe of the first movie, and I think wind up failing. Um, I love
1: the idea of the clip show version, though, like <laughs> Silent Night, Deadly Night 2, where it's just, like, <laughs> yeah. re-showing all the, like, rape from the first movie with this
0: <laughs> little cheaply, cheaply filmed, like, framing device. This is actually uh, Martin Scorsese's preference in terms of Exorcist films. How about that? Um I don't know. I I, I thought some of the sets in this, this movie were beautiful. I guess it was... uh a uh, very high-budget film for the time. It kind of feels like a stage play. What is your take on all of the the creative <laughs> aspects to this movie? I really like the score too, by the way. By uh, Oh yeah, Ennio Morricone. You mean it's the,
2: so distinct? You mean you mean the African shouting throughout yes, the entire? Yeah. movie? And that
0: disco,
1: yeah. Did you watch the trailer <laughs> where they have that Ennio Morricone? Oh, like that's disco great version of the thing. La, la, oh la, la,
2: damn. La, la, la. That, that got um, very irritating, about an hour in. <laughs> when, when they have those, what is it, like two, three-minute segments of just nonstop shouting while they're showing you things, I had to turn it down because even my speakers were kind of ge- giving <laughs> giving out. Um, but uh, again, like I think if, if this wasn't a, a, a film that was related to The Exorcist, like if that story or if that movie didn't exist... Uh, it, this will work uh, a lot better on its own just because of uh, what you just mentioned of how crazy and creative it is because you can see that there's a lot of ideas that went into this not entirely sure if they all worked but you can tell that uh you know it's a director with a vision and is definitely something you can respect especially when you're thinking of a sequel someone that has the guts to just say well you know the the first movie was very successful and then uh Uh, critics loved it but let me just do what i want to do and and whatever that was who cares Uh, i can completely respect that but um not entirely sure if i was really into it by by the end i I, um there was a lot of decisions that 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 are taken in the story that I'm, i'm very confused by and i i don't know if it's maybe because of the technology of the day but like the whole sequence of the light with Reagan and the priest and all that—like I felt like that was completely unnecessary. Like I didn't want to, I didn't care. But that they showed what it. The, what is it? The, three times. The therapy sequence. Yeah, they, I think they showed it three times. I liked the
0: hard. That, thing. Hold on, no, but that's so central to the like. That's why. Yeah, that's the whole movie. <laughs>
1: is that is the blaring I, disco mirrored? Uh,
0: it's wanted, Cronenberg uh,
1: Down Syndrome. Lab where they have her. I guess I just I wanted
2: more Africa craziness. I guess
1: I wanted more. That was more girls, but you they didn't did like the, the yelling. That was all the.
2: No, no. Well, yeah. Uh, I don't know. I guess I, I just don't like. I'm just <laughs> I just don't. I, I don't like Linda Blair. <laughs> I guess maybe that's what the issue is. I don't think she's good. I really don't like seeing her on screen. I think in in small doses she's okay, but her acting in this, I, I just didn't want to. I didn't care. For her, like when she stepped out of her room or whatever, I was like, oh, great, she's gonna jump, good, we're gonna focus on someone else, great. And then that didn't happen. So I, yeah, I don't know, I guess I wanted more. Uh, uh, if you were going to push the crazy, I guess I wanted more crazy, if you can, I, I guess if you can, you know, think of more crazy you can do with this. But I, I feel like the connection with the original one was. Took away a little bit from it just because of how different it is. And if I wasn't thinking at all on the of the original one, I think I would have probably enjoyed this a lot more. Because I do enjoy, you know, I, I'm a big fan of Jodorowski. So I love crazy directors that just have an idea and a vision and just do do it. But I I guess that the the relationship with the original kind of kept me in a mind, in a state of mind that I don't know, maybe it was not the, the best. to. to see I think, this, I think if this
0: a- wasn't a sequel to that original movie, it would be less remarkable. It would just kind of be a yeah. weird... weird uh, the, Like, the fact that this is the direction that they went from, uh, like, the, the classic horror film of all time, uh, mm-hmm. and this is its follow-up, is really what makes it kind of... I don't know. It sets it apart yeah, from it, everything else. it wouldn't
1: else. be nearly as interesting. I would think of it as, like, just a, just a stylish curiosity if it weren't connected to The Exorcist. But a lot of these uh, sequels that are not highly regarded to horror movies in the 70s are good to me just because they threw so much money and so many prestige actors at them, like the Omen sequels as well. Like Omen 2, it's way more formulaic than this and it's like just a repeat of the plot of the first one, but they just showered money. It's just luxury and the highest ceilings you could ever imagine and the most operatic score ever and the most over the top prestige actors ever doing this like really trashy antichrist plot and like that's why it's good and this has a lot of that but it it has the addition of just being batshit crazy but I absolutely love Linda Blair. Uh, She has a specific (laughs) kind of depressing 70s sexiness. Um, I'm a huge fan of her whole, uh, career of, like, made-for-television rape movies that she did, in prison movies <laughs> that she did after that. Born Innocent, which what? showed on, uh, like, network television at, like, 7 p.m., where she's raped by a broomstick by other girls, like, at a school, it is completely insane. Um, she, she has a soft and likable screen presence, I think, like, other than, um, this and The Exorcist, I think, Savage Streets is, like, her best movie. It's, like, a rape revenge movie, and she's really badass in that. But, yeah, she has just this kind of, like, what's the, Linda Ronstadt, what's, chipmunk cheeks, kind of 70s sexiness. What's the jail movie where she's, I think, also raped? There's KG. <laughs> she's, yeah. It was, she's yes. in all of yeah, yeah. Movie. Yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: And then a roller boogie, which they used to show in American apparel stores, um, where it's which is just total style, her roller skating around to
0: share. This movie opens with her tap dancing without a bra yeah. on, with her top Four. all rolled up. It's such a stark contrast from oh, we just had a little girl possessed by, you know, a demon in this first movie. Uh it really does swing for the fences in, in every way. It seems well, like you
2: also have this scene. You have that scene, right? When when the demon is trying to seduce the priest. And right. Well, I mean,
0: the big her. problem of this movie is just that uh, Father Lamont needs to needs to come. He just needs to get off, and a lot of the problems will be fixed.
1: All that, of it... that is something that's very consistent in the whole franchise. They're all very like sexually repressed. Like the first one, there's all of that. Like all of his weird guilt about his yeah. mother that, like, Jimmy, why you do this? And it never shows him doing anything. He's like a good son. But he has this weird guilt about his mother. And then there's that ambiguously gay priest that he hangs out with. The Liberace And it, priest. everybody is yeah. just very cloistering. You know, the Chris McNeil, the most, like, repressed, like, kind of harsh <laughs> 70s <laughs> Ellen Burstyn. I love that they just, like, got a fake Chris McNeil for this. Louise Fletcher with, like, the same haircut, the yeah. same yeah. brown yeah. And the same
0: harsh face, you know. What do you think of the? Because we were talking about this on the last show. where We were talking about uh, the, f- the first Exorcist film. What do you think of that Rob Ager theory, where it's just like it, it, she was just molested. It's not a deep. She was molested. It's, it's molestation in every film.
1: Molestation's <laughs> not exciting enough to do like all the shit that happened. I mean, they're like that's a kind of like eh, I don't like. She was molested movies even. like that, where it's like where it's like actually. It's all in their head, you know. Yeah, yeah it's just kind yeah. of dull to me. Like, no, it's
0: not all in their head. Yeah, no, that's that's such a boring out. Like, <laughs> people love love to apply that to The Exorcist. They love to apply it to The Shining. Now, I've actually heard that in the The Shining, the film, um, there were elements of that, included in, like an early script, uh, and then they were just like removed at a later point for more ambiguity. But... Rowan
1: Polanski said it about *Rosemary's Baby*. Like we did that last week, and I was watching the documentary, and he was like, uh, "It could all be in her head." There is, you know, I was like, "This is such a, this gets no one nowhere." As a person that doesn't pay attention to like plots in movies, like at all, I just kind of lay back and watch them and figure out the plot later. Like the, the kind of like technical trick like that, just, you know, you could say that it's about really, anything. It's not real. It doesn't it's add a, any yeah
2: what's what's the point of you saying that now
1: yeah yeah <laughs> trying
2: trying to g- g- close up it's it's like what they do with star wars that they're like well now just go read the books and it would all make sense like that thing thanks i just sat <laughs> sat for another trilogy now i have to go read star wars books to understand what's going
0: on yeah this well star wars this came out the same year as star wars james Earl jones does this and uh he's he's good in this movie yeah, uh, yeah, I don't. I don't great. know what to make of Richard Burton's performance. So there are moments where I'm like, he's doing really well, and then there's other moments where I'm like, this. This, this is almost uh, kind of cringe. This is, this it, is he's. Really bad. It's the
1: same like sweaty alcoholic Richard Burton. Yes, performance. Yeah, yeah. Like he's like he's not in every movie, you know. So
0: every scene opens with him, and it's like he just had a hard night of drinking the night before. <laughs> he's just very uh-huh. nervous, very sweaty. Um, but otherwise, I think everybody else is pretty good. Linda Blair. I mean. You know, she waffles a bit, but she's a young actress at the time. She's, what, like 17, 18 years old during this movie? Um, Louise Fletcher is good. Do you, Okay, maybe one of you two guys can clear this up for me. Probably not Hans, because Hans, you didn't even know that the synchronatic therapy was a, a point of the movie that mattered. Uh, what's yeah. the deal with the, <laughs> the Sharon character? The Sharon character is secretly evil or something? She's got to oh, purify yeah. herself just, at the end?
2: set herself on fire? Yeah. Um, that was weird. That was the I, only
0: part on, on my... Uh, Third or fourth viewing now that I do. It was really
1: just like a prop for me that connected it to the first movie because they were trying to get as many actors from the first movie as possible. So yeah, she like bursts into flames at the end. But um, but you know, I this movie, my method of watching movies is just staring at it and uh, seeing what I come up with. And like this, it's very exciting in that way. And I, but I have no idea what the fuck happened. I do like get a general feeling. The first movie and Friedkin's entire output is very genuinely, like, sinister and evil and has something evil about this. This is not an evil movie. And that was part of Borman's intent was to make a, like, he thought the first one was very distasteful and they came to him to direct it and he hated the idea of, like, abusing a child for entertainment. Um, but then this one does seem in some weird way to be about like goodness (laughs) and light. It's some kind of yin yang with the first one,
0: but it doesn't make sense. No, they kind of retcon the, the whole possession aspect to be Pazuzu inhabits people with like a psychic touch to them. People who are, uh, who have some sort of ability. I don't know, but I I was looking it up and I, I guess Friedkin watched like 30 minutes of this movie and had to say about it, this film was made by a demented mind. (laughs) <laughs> that, that was William Friedkin's review *Exorcist* 2. <laughs> As is the first one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you you like this one more than *Exorcist* three? *Exorcist* three is some uh, is a film where people have come around and been like, oh, well, you know that that one's actually pretty good. That one, you know, it, this one's bad, but this one this one is actually the one that nails it and is the true sequel to *Exorcist*. Which I, I like
1: *Exorcist* three.
0: Um, I do
1: think it's scary. I think it's underappreciated, but it's, well, not anymore because it's very popular. Everybody likes it now, but it is whole pure William Peter Blatty in the manner of Twinkle Twinkle Killer Kane. Um, so I just, I don't like William Peter
0: Blatty. <laughs> his, his whole Did you, uh, style. Did you watch the Ninth Configuration?
1: Oh, that's the what I'm referring. It it has two titles. It's Ninth Configuration and Twinkle Twinkle Killer Kane. It's, a, oh, it's okay. the same movie. Yeah, I that was one that I always read about that was like people are like, this is crazy. Um, but I I rarely dislike movies as much as I disliked that that's some it just didn't come together. Every moment was precious and literary and like supposed to be excessively filled with meaning and um yeah, I don't know.
0: I mean, th- that movie, I think, is uh, kind of a mess. Uh, not really in a similar way to this movie, but I-, I don't know. My opinion on that movie is probably not as harsh. I haven't watched it in a while, uh, but I remember it doing some interesting things. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. No, it's certainly interesting. Because
2: you, you mentioned on last episode like a timeline of you know the sequels, yeah. of how some people consider the third one to be like a the real sequel to the first one more connected to it or whatever. I haven't seen it, but... Uh, there's There's also some brain electric juju in it going on too, right, in the third one well n- or like no. what's the
0: no i mean no, it's it's uh so it's about the Gemini killer who's like a zodiac knockoff, inhabits the body of Father Karis and uh is, like killing that way, and it gets locked up, and we we meet Kinderman from the first movie, and uh he's like investigating it or something. So no, it's not like, it's not based in Sounds science. It's like, very exciting. Yeah. <laughs> it's not
2: it's, exciting it's,
1: at it all. It has a really uh, sickly, uh, malignant tone to it. Like you're left like in a, a bad, creeped out mood after you watch it. It has a good tone. Um, I think the, the biggest mistake that they made with Exorcist 2, and I don't know where along the production line they came up with the name and the idea of Pazuzu because they don't say Pazuzu explicitly in the like the only in the first movie they only like give the ominous like Iraq sequence at the first and it's it's like The Shining it's like cryptic enough that there's not like a stupid explanation right but horror is all ruined by explanations and I really hate that everybody when they think of The Exorcist thinks of it as this demon from Africa named Pazuzu possessing her, like that's just stupid. <laughs> like it's it's like in the Shining book. Like Stephen King always um, gives dumb explanations for things, and like with with something like it, it's crazy and nonsensical enough that it like works because you can't make sense of it. But like the Shining, it's that whole like it's like an Indian burial ground, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or something that like Kubrick wisely cut out. Um, but yeah, that the whole Pazuzu, like, it doesn't need to be that literal. They had this obsession, uh, like, with horror movies in the 70s, especially in the novelizations, with making everything, like, an evil voodoo spirit from Africa that came to possess someone. Like, in the novelization of Halloween... It's, it starts with, like, a voodoo ceremony that, like,
0: uh, a spirit goes to possess Michael Myers. That, that That's very uh, peculiar. I do have the novelization of the Halloween book. I got it from, like, a flea market 20 years ago, and I've never touched it. It's just been a decoration. I got it
1: for 25 cents 15 years ago, uh, gave it away at some point, and then I look now, and with the current 2010s horror mania, it was $300 on eBay. Oh, wow. <laughs>
0: uh what did you think of the uh well it's not a remake but the re-adaptation of uh of it that came out in the past couple of years
1: um the second part's good and the first part is awful that's what i think of it um oh wow the <laughs> yeah the second part is great it's very Warner brothers it feels like roger rabbit um and i love that it's three hours long i i'm a huge fan of it but i've always not liked the 50s kid nostalgia Part of it, I do think the miniseries is a better adaptation because that's in the tradition of uh, big romance doorstop novels of the 80s being adapted into miniseries. It just has the proper tone for the time period. The characters look the right way. Um, I love that miniseries, but the I hated the first It and the second one, I was like, wow, this is the good one. It's just, this is batshit insane. Was it just too, um, like Stranger Things? Tanks. It had the big like Warner Brothers like water
0: tank stains full of teal water. Um, that was quite good. Was the first chapter just like too too much like all the modern day little kid eighties nostalgia shit that they put out? It was Stranger Things. That was geek Stranger Things. So
1: they they brought that movie out, and it's that's exactly what it is. And, um, it, and but then the. Second one they kept in and did really well my favorite scene in all of it which is the uh the Chinese restaurant Jade of the Orient and they even called it Jade of the Orient like that that scene was great it's filled with like neon and very re- very good I
0: rewatched it again just the other night on uh HBO Max cuz I remember walking out of the theater and I was like that, would, that that really disappointed me especially the ending um because I I didn't like that they didn't commit to like a real like full spider. They tried to have it both ways and have it be a clown head and then the spider body and that rubbed me the wrong way. And, yeah. and I didn't like the, oh, we're going to pander to like the the Tumblr, Twitter, fan fiction crowd of, uh, was it Richie and Eddie? And make that a, a retroactive romance with bad CG on their faces where they're flirting as kids. or whatever. it like, I, I, I that just, yeah. that annoyed me. But when I rewatched it, <laughs> um, it was probably the same level of annoyance for those things. But I was able to appreciate uh, some other things that maybe clouded my judgment in the moment where I was just uh you know in over 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 how much I hated that movie the first time I watched it. Um but yes back back to uh Exorcist. Have you seen the prequels to the original Exorcist?
1: Mm, no. I it looked so brown and so bland I like could not ever bring myself to like I want to spend two hours watching Dominion the prequel to that
2: they're very they're, they're very <laughs> mortal comedy.
1: You know, like the
2: first Mortal Kombat movie is very much that type of tone, that type of... <laughs> it, it, even the effects are very, very much Well, that.
0: Dominion's unfinished. Dominion has the, like, half-done half, half done CG because they didn't want to add another, what, like $200,000 to the budget and visual effects? So they just put it out on, like, pay-per-view after Exorcist The Beginning flopped because um, they had Paul Schrader's full movie, and they didn't bother to touch up the ending with the demon there. mm
2: is there, Dominion's uh, the the one with the demon with the giant head,
0: right? Or the man with the giant... Well, is it ball? supposed to be Kakumo from this movie? That's what the whole thing is uh, about. He goes on the trip to Africa. There's the possessed young boy, and he's supposed to exercise the demon out of him. Yeah. In the beginning, uh, he winds up exercising the demon out of some woman character I, who I don't remember. But in Paul Schrader's Dominion, it is a like young African boy. That's all. I, that's all I recall. It was like 2005 when I watched this movie.
1: Yeah, that was the big mistake they made with this franchise is like going this direction of like, we need to explore the origins of the demon and the priest like that's, that's not why The Exorcist is scary. The Exorcist is scary because of everything happening, like in the present day in that room and the like unspeakable, shocking sexual gymnastics that they only got away with in 1973, like The Exorcist would never, (laughs) never come out now. Uh, And it's it's the most extreme, I think it's the most extreme thing Hollywood ever did and will ever do. And it's, everyone's seen it. It was a blockbuster success, so nobody really thinks about just how extreme it is. But um, (laughs) the the way that it did not get an X rating, like, you know, you think Midnight Cowboy had an X rating for suggesting a blowjob. And then The Exorcist, just because they spent so much money on it, it was like a deal that they could do whatever and not have to cut it and... But it's they beyond did. seventeen.
0: <laughs> and there's so many good stories about like actors just suffering all sorts of trauma on the set of that, like Ellen Burstyn's back being uh, ruined for a while because of William Friedman. Oh
2: yeah,
1: he didn't well, even look good everybody. too. I just sees a movie, okay, in like fifth grade, where a twelve year old girl puts her mother masturbates with a crucifix and then shoves her mother's head in her crotch and says, lick me, lick. And people are, imagine if that happened now.
0: Well, they got a problem with that. What was it? Denzel Washington's son and Zendaya. They don't like that. There's an age gap in that. That's like the modern day oh, thing. God. I don't, I'm not watching that movie, but uh, what? What is I don't, it? I don't what? know. I just log on Twitter and it says, Oh, Sam Levinson or whatever the fuck the director's name is speaks out on the controversy of that movie. And I guess that's what the controversy is. Uh, he's like 38 or something. Oh, well, yeah. they did the Exorcist with Denzel Washington <laughs> <Yeah>. and Zendaya. <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> yeah, those kind of controversies don't even deserve to be like talked about. Like, if you pay any attention to any kind of like age gap grooming discourse on Twitter, like, you're, like it's you're an idiot if you take any aspect of this like seriously whatsoever because it's fundamentally ridiculous. Like
0: Zendaya and Denzel Washington, like come on that's how this podcast started Hans was grooming me for a number of years (laughs) to be his
1: yes
0: didn't work no um, No, there's a there's (laughs) a making of book on Exorcist 2 that I really want to get my hands on but it's like uh, it's on eBay and all of a sudden it's like $80 and $200 I haven't found any, like, making of documentaries on Exorcist 2, but there's, like, a good little paperback on that. Do you know anything about that?
1: I don't, no. I really um, have never seen anything about this beyond what's available from a simple Google. <laughs> like, I would imagine, I mean, has, like, Shout Factory put this out? Yes, it, it has an ugly cover. It
0: has a very terribly Their ugly covers cover.
1: covers atrocity. That's the kind of aesthetic that informed the first It movie um but yeah they're they're really embarrassing
0: yeah they put an illustrated locust on the on the cover of that and thought it would be better than just like the high contrast <laughs> faces what i appreciate is that you can like flip it inside out but otherwise you know but then right- they put
1: that stupid slip case like this like yeah you have to keep it you can't just throw away the slipcase. but like God, dvds the heyday of dvd you would have this wonderful gatefold you know unfolding all these panels and this beautiful like booklet lavish whatever and then now it's like a cardboard sleeve that goes over an amare case it's really depressing
0: and people will bid on those on ebay too for like ten dollars just for the cardboard slipcase case for no, that. There's, there's like there are people that love that shit for some reason uh uh, not me. No, I, I I toss him aside personally.
2: So so wait, you're interested in that even even after watching The Devil and Father? Um, the Devil what and is it, Father Morf?
0: No, uh, we shouldn't yeah. even talk about. It. Have you seen The Devil and Father of Morph, Jack?
1: No, I don't even know what that is.
0: That's uh, William Friedkin's most recent film. It's a documentary where he uh, covers an exorcism being performed, I think, in the Vatican, and uh, it's very, it's got his old man touch to it, where. Uh, He adds sound effects to the exorcist. It's supposed to be real. It's supposed to be like a legit exorcism, but he touches up the voice to sound like Linda Blair in the exorcist. And he adds in (laughs) whoosh sound effects. And he, he doesn't even film the ending. He tells you the ending. He said, and then in that moment, the cathedral started to shake and uh, the blinds all, all went up by themselves and and the windows shut and this, and and it's just so bad. It's really, (laughs) I'm
1: just like not interested in like real life, exorcisms like that always everything surrounding the exorcist is all this kind of like I don't like ghosts either I don't like paranormal stuff go- like it just doesn't draw me in uh just this very like foundational innate understanding of evil is what scares me um and yeah I don't care about like some girl who's like having uh Asperger's fits you
0: know. Did you like the scene <laughs> the, the, in this movie the, where the little girl says, "I have autism," and oh, she, yeah. she gets I, fixed I've by one Blair? Yeah,
1: where that was a great scene. I have autism. I'm withdrawn. <laughs> <That> <laughs> and then also, cured her of it. That, that, that one hurt. Oh, uh, cured me of autism. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but that, um, I want to live in that lab and that that mirrored. Down syndrome disco lab and that that scene where like they're all outside of the building and it's like all the people with Down syndrome like outside looking at the building is really amazing. Those I like that the um in keeping with the like locust bee theme, the uh ceiling looks like a beehive kind of you know, those little like cells. It's just yeah, Yeah. disco Tom Ford, whatever. It was like a
2: thing, what was it around the 2010s, that it was uh, maybe one year or two where it was just in the summer, always uh, just like an exorcism or like a weird. I remember one uh, that was found footage and also about an exorcism that the the imagery of it was an old lady that had a cross drawn on her inside of her lip or something. And he was just a piece of shit. And they're I just remember that. Shit. No, nobody remembers
0: <laughs> any of those movies from that time. The ex, The Last Exorcism, The Exorcism of Emily Rose, Last oh, Exorcism ugly. 2. A
1: Connecticut yeah, because they're intended for teenagers to go like just sit on their phones, you know, that it's it's really uh th- those never appealed to me. And like the the like popular, like allegedly good ones, like um what was the big <laughs> the con the conjuring like everybody was really into that and that was really in the category of just like bad pg-13 exorcist ripoffs to me as well you know it didn't really excite me but i, I don't like paranormal ghost hunter stuff it does absolutely nothing for me like prison is scarier <laughs> just like reality is scary yeah, yeah, like, yeah. human evil is scarier to <laughs> me than like this house is haunted
2: what if you go to a haunted prison
1: I don't I've never been <laughs> I don't even, like I'm, I'm not scared of ghosts like humans are scary enough it also
0: there's just a different vibe to I think modern paranormal films than the ones from the, the 70s or even like 80s or anything before that. Where the people making these paranormal films, uh, you, I, in my opinion anyway, you can feel like they don't have any sort of superstitious beliefs as far as that goes. It's all handled, well, we're going to handle like the scientific notion of this in this context, and it's all very modern day stuff. Whereas 1970s, you have a girl who's possessed, uh, and Friedkin wasn't religious at the time. He is now. He's Catholic now. Um, it, I don't know. There's just a different vibe that's put out in the film where they take it probably more seriously and they don't add like the skeptic cynical whatever aspect uh or or make that as heavy on the film as you would probably find in a movie that was made in 2009 or mm-hmm. 2015 or whenever. Yeah.
2: But what is the horror thing now besides being besides bad movies? Besides bad horror movies
1: the because we the A24 like where you just artistic horror, yeah. make it look like Kubrick and it Slow gets burn. 80%, 80% on Rotten Tomatoes automatically, and uh, it has an ambiguous ending where nothing is solved, and, like, I hate all of that.
2: <laughs> I'm, the... I'm sick of all... Ari...
1: I, I, think, I think horror as a genre should go underground for 10 years and no one should see. No one should is make it, a horror movie. Uh,
2: the Ari Aster stage, I guess, Brad, mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. everything is elevated, and, you know, this could be scary if you suffer from trauma 10 years ago and you can relate to the character, but otherwise, who cares?
1: as as you said uh the modern stuff is just not scary because no one has any kind of like sincere belief system it's just kind of like mm-hmm. dead and like nothing modern movies are not infused with any kind of libido either everything is very like assembly line kind of safely made you don't you wouldn't you don't get like an unhinged vision like you did in the 70s um that you know would be called problematic or some other fake word now but that's that's why movies are bad cuz there's no passion behind them except as a kind of like retrospective like I'm a film student and these are all of my interests and I'm putting them together in a way for you to digest well that's that's something that we've
2: talked about multiple times about how the tortured artist has kind of disappeared how now it seems like people just make work so that they can get hired by a big studio and just put out bullshit so that they can have just a steady income instead of, you know, a deranged uh, Vincent Gallo doing whatever movie he wants to do and put it out for 10 people to enjoy. Uh, and that's something that, you know, the the I think Laura did a video on it even about like the tortured artist or like, what what do you call it?
0: I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about right now,
2: Hans, but thank you for promoting are you, are my videos.
0: Are you, <laughs> are you fucking really? You know how... You, <laughs>
2: You talk about like Vincent Gallo for like 50 minutes. On the I talked about for one. like
0: eight minutes. I was just, no, I had nothing to do with that. Um, just uh, the fact that somebody like, all right, Vincent Gallo has had uh, a little bit of a resurgence in, in Instagram anyway with his posts that get deleted within like three hours from people mass reporting. But uh, the point I was trying to make was if you find yourself disagreeing with aspects of an artist publicly, that probably means that they're not afraid to showcase themselves in a sincere manner, which means that their art is gonna have uh more weight to it because they're they're more likely to put themselves into it and not dress something up for public approval. That's what I was getting at with that video, Hans. Uh I don't yeah, I agree. I don't think we really have people like that anymore. I think that's dead. I think that's done. I mean, I mean if
1: you like show any kind of female nudity that's intended to be erotic whatsoever, then it creates a moral panic, which is ridiculous. And, like, feminists still pretend that there's this this, this movie industry that, like, uses, like, attractive women and, ma- and makes them get nude all the time, which hasn't been true for literally 30 years. Basic Instinct was really the last... The erotic thrillers were, like, the last time that there was any kind of eroticized female nudity, and Showgirls killed that off for good. And basically, nothing has had any kind of female nudity since then, but they're still, like, unless they uh, are working with, like, a female director and made to be ugly, or you know, it's a scene like that, that, then they can um, exercise their exhibitionist impulses, but uh, the movies are so bad because no one this idea of, like, respecting actors, like, actors are people who want to be tortured to get their best work and often they're very dumb, you know, some of the best actors are very dumb because if you over-intellectualize it, Then it doesn't register, but um, register on screen. But like movies like The Exorcist and Last Tango in Paris are so powerful and so dark and so disturbing to this day because uh, because of that uh, auteur sadism (laughs) that, that where they were like torturing the actors, you know. It has a different feel than, like Brie Larson, you know, say standing in front of a green screen, you know, yeah, doing interviews about feminism.
2: But who who do you like modern modern day director that you could you could say you know that he's they've been putting out decent things recently at least because uh, it sounds like you're very not into modern stuff because of how formulaic it is, and that's something that you know we mm-hmm. we talk about a lot about how. Every, anybody with
0: promise gets scooped up by Disney or Warner Brothers and they get thrown into a big budget property where they wind up sterilizing their own style. Like uh, like uh, your boy Adam Wingard, right? Now he's doing Kong vs. Godzilla or something, right? Um, or uh, James Gunn. James Gunn, very early on, had tons of promise and now he's just shit.
1: The last director under 40 that uh, I really liked and... But had great promise and was doing something very libidinal um, that peop- that really made people mad was Lena Dunham and she has uh, instead of isolating herself and just putting out work uh, after Tiny Furniture and Girls which are both great and both very misunderstood she listened to critics and is currently basically just mentally imprisoned by liberal critics who don't get what she was doing (laughs) at all. But her stuff, which was commonly thought of as um, being this kind of, like, body pause feminist propaganda, totally inaccurate. Everyone hated it, including feminists, and the the early moral panic against Lena Dunham was entirely done by liberals. Um, Her stuff is genuinely perverted... Has the kind of like bizarre arty exhibitionism that uh, stuff in the 70s used to have, um, but I I hope she comes out of it. I hope she just does something. But I think she's so beaten down by 10 years of critics from wow. every side of the political spectrum that I don't I don't know what she can do now. What is she doing now? Isn't she involved in that,
2: that series right? Network or no? What is it? Um... It's a series about like a, a, a TV network or something, or am I completely off?
1: I not uh, She was involved after Girls ended. There was this really bad show uh, that was canceled after one season called Camping. That I don't. I think was more of her like um, friend assistant Jenny Connor's project because it doesn't really have any of the Lena Dunham hallmarks. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm sure she's doing something now. Like I, I have seen those. Th- the buzz about that like network stuff, but you know, yeah, like this indus- her- industry school yeah in tiny furniture and the first several seasons of girls, well, really all of girls, she's totally uncensored. And every single thing that she did just created a total moral panic with just the media freaking out about every bit of it, about rape, about racism, about all of it. And I don't know if she has the capability to become like really unfiltered again because she, thinks that the critics are like real or correct about something and like those are the aspects of her that needed to be encouraged. Yeah.
0: She was supposed to do uh there's this foreign film called Tony Erdman, which came out a couple of years back. They were gonna make a uh, an American uh adaptation of it with Jack Nicholson as the uh Tony Erdman character. I believe she was gonna write that and maybe be in it, but that wound up falling apart and he's he's I don't think he's all there anymore, unfortunately. Jack Nicholson's uh, like eighty four years old. No, he's. I don't think he's been there for like twenty years. Are so
1: old. It's just the prior generation. Like I'm, I'm thinking about like the last big directors where I was excited about everything they put out. Like Lars von Trier is old, and I think that he, the House that Jack Built, was awful. I think. Why he's do you think that movie was awful? Oh, <laughs> I, I liked the it House. Like, Jack, okay, *Nymphomaniac* is his masterwork, and *House that Jack Built* felt like. Uh, stuff left on the cutting room floor from *Nymphomaniac*, plus like a Showtime series like *Dexter*, and like it, uh, and like the the sort of like lame uh, Trump orange Mad parody with the like shocking like uh, you know Marilyn Manson tier like dead kids in red hats and apple pie. Fucked up America. That, like, that was really embarrassing. And, you know, they, but I think he got it all out with Nymphomaniac, and I don't know where he can go. And, the, you know, before that, Melancholy and Antichrist, like, which is fine, but he he could have just stopped <laughs> after Nymphomaniac, because that has, like, every idea you could ever have. He just got it out there.
0: Are you going to check out The Kingdom Season 3?
1: You know, I haven't ever watched the um, original Kingdom. I'm... Pretty spotty on like early Lars von Trier. I've seen like The Element of Crime um, and The Idiots, but some of those early ones I haven't seen. They're,
0: they're hard to get through. Uh, his like late '80s, '90s work uh, is is fairly inaccessible, in my opinion. But The Kingdom is kind of interesting. All the episodes are on YouTube, uh, and I decided to check out season one. And he does the the Crispin Glover thing of him, uh, employing people with uh, mental incapabilities and that's uh that's quite a treat. It's got a great theme song. That's my review of The Kingdom. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I really don't think he from what I've seen hit his stride until he started uh torturing actresses in melodramas. I think that's that's really like when he's with Breaking the Waves and Dancer in the Dark and Dogville, I think he really excels at uh torturing actresses in melodramas and getting the best performance of their lives out of it. Well, he has to come back with something really controversial, I think, because
2: he's known as that figure, right? Because of what happened in in, in
0: Khan, Have you seen him recently, though? He did an interview this mm, year where he's, he's just shaking from whatever pills he's on, and he oh, seems Jesus. like hollowed out. He seems like he's out of it. That.
1: He he listened to the haters as well because uh-huh. you know the the con thing happened. But when I saw a House that Jack built at Alamo Draft House, it had a little like Skype introduction from him where he called Trump the Rat King. And I was like, really, <laughs> you you, Lars von Trier can't kind of pull out and see what's happening in America with like the moral panic around Donald Trump. You're really going to play into this? So and, uh, I don't think he's all there. See, I, uh, yeah. I didn't even
0: make the like the MAGA hat connection when I was watching the it, film uh, any any time I got, I got. It the was same... Marilyn
1: Manson, like po- like po- bowling for Columbine, Marilyn Manson tier <laughs> kind of like America were... guns fucked uh... up. No, you were blinded so
2: we're... by your love. Your lover, Lars von last Trier, blinded <laughs> <to> you.
1: <laughs> <been embarrassing> shit. <laughs> and I loved them too. I, you know, I some of my best movie-going experiences of my life were seeing Antichrist, Melancholia, and Nymphomaniac in the theater on like wintry evenings, multiple times. Um, so I was prepared to eat up whatever he was doing, but. That that one really felt like something really dated in a bad way. Like somebody maybe read American Psycho in like 1989 and and thought like, what if I did a twisted serial killer, darkly comic? It's just nobody. That's every Showtime, every HBO show. It's all darkly comic, twisted serial killer. You just fucking you ruined that movie for me because of how accurate <laughs> you're being. <laughs> yeah, I was. Gonna and like, say it something. doesn't even go far enough. Like, you want him to like torture the women, and it 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 like pretends like it's gonna go there, but it really doesn't. It's like this kind of like hostile tier, like you, you know. Don't, you don't like that he put a severed
0: tit it, yeah. on on the policeman's car in the movie. He just like a flapjack. No. Um.
1: No, it was all very Showtime kind of. Game of Thrones kind of violence to me. Fargo season two. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) FX. It's very FX as well. Darkly comic
0: FX. Are are you with the Refn at all? Because as bad as maybe, um, you know, the red hat thing is, if you've seen uh, Too Old to Die Young and where Nicholas Winding Refn goes with that, it's just, it's like, it's, uh, it's his career falling apart in real time and his creative skills because he he just loses any sort of uh nuance or subtlety in his communicating of uh things in a visual medium it gets it gets so so terrible
1: the only one of his that i've seen i think is neon demon which i quite liked it's um kind of empty you know uh but the basic idea um depicting like fashion models as cannibals and stuff was you know it was it was fun to see in a the theater yeah it's probably hasn't aged well in the like intervening five years because i don't want to hear any more like pulsating 80s inspired score or again but i
0: i had a, a fairly high opinion of neon demon um when i had initially seen it. i was a big ref fan in general uh only god forgives is a misunderstood classic <laughs> uh the pusher trilogy is very good and drive of course Drive is responsible for that whole eighties resurgence. Only
1: God forgives. Is that the one with, with where he he Ryan Gosling is wearing like the Metallica shirt? No, no, no. no, no
0: that, that's Place no, Beyond that's the Pines. No, that's not Drive. Okay, no, I no, did no. like
1: because the female characters are like really minimized and they're just like wives and uh <laughs> wives and mothers <laughs> that look on like with a worried expression and there were no like girl bosses in it. Yeah.
0: Do you like uh Derek C in France at all? He he's the one who directed that film. Uh what else has he done? Uh he did The Light Beyond the Oceans. He did a, a sh- uh HBO series this past year uh called I Know This Much Is True with Mark Ruffalo, who I, I typically cannot stand. But uh the series I thought was was very good.
1: Um no, I I think Place Beyond the Pines might be the only one. It didn't leave a strong impression. I like generally liked it, but it went in one ear and uh out the other. Mark Ruffalo is real bad like um I'm like a truther about that last Todd Haynes movie Dark Water where like how did the director of Safe and Poison and Superstar and Velvet Goldmine attach his name to this totally strange New York Times propaganda piece that's like just has no flair or style I think Mark Ruffalo directed it and they just like put Todd Haynes name on it <laughs> I don't even know what that is. What is that? But... Um, it came out last year. It was the last Todd Haynes movie. Um, and it was about uh it, it's kind of a Aaron Brockovich type like whistleblower movie, uh that has a lot right. of stars in it, like Anne Hathaway as the wife, um, but it has no Todd Haynes flair, like not anything, like he's a really remarkable director, and right. it's it's just very like sludgy. It was like I guess critics liked it enough. It's like competently put together, I guess. But um, but it, but is it one of those that they like because they're talking about people like them? Yeah, it's a it, <laughs> it, it's a big uh, like commercial for the New York Times, the bravery of the New York Times and whistleblowing. And <laughs> like,
0: uh, <laughs> well, that's what is a great, great trend recently. We had Spotlight. We had uh, what Post? was the other one? The Post. The post was your favorite movie of twenty twenty twenty, right, Hans? <laughs> oh, yep. I, I didn't. I avoided all of those. Um, Spotlight was painfully dull, painfully boring. I, I mean, I can totally understand why that won Best Picture at the Academy Awards, but really, I think the weakest winner we've we've had in a while. Go ahead, Hans.
2: They they they, met, they made pre smolestation station boring, which is amazing to think about in a like in the wrong way because it's such a like awful subject but they managed to just i don't know purify it so much and make it so bland that by the end of the movie you don't even care that anyone is getting raped you're just like i just want this fucking thing to end i don't care about the children anymore just fucking just mark
0: ruffalo was in that too
2: wasn't
1: Uh, i've never even heard of this movie this one best picture
0: this one best picture this was right after the year birdman won Ooh!
1: Also, I hate that.
2: <laughs> it looks it looks like a like a cheap, like cheapy cable channel movie. Like there's, listen, the cinematography yeah. is boring and bland. It sounds like a lifetime a movie. Light.
1: The yeah. original Oscar bait lifetime movie, um, which is like dated enough that it's cool, is uh, the Accused with Jodie Foster. That like created that whole genre of like we don't even need to try with this movie at all as long as it has a social message and (laughs) then it gets
0: sent straight
1: to the Oscars. That seems to be the only
0: type of film that's made nowadays is the, uh, what like Breddy Stinellis calls the message film. Uh, anything that's made uh, that isn't a comic book property or something that's pre-existing as a cartoon or what, ha- what, you know, that is always what is shuffled out. That seems to be Blumhouse's MO, you know, they're remaking or not remaking. They're doing a sequel to the exorcist, right? Uh, right. David Gordon Green is going to be directing that.
1: Oh, his Halloween was the worst movie I've ever seen uh, like that. It uh, was, that yeah. really felt like randomly assembled Netflix cutting room floor that was the that, that's like the, what I always bring up when I say that movies are dead and like what like current movies all look and sound like is that Halloween thing where it's just that gray digital Netflix, tinny bad sound, totally unfinished, ugly people cast in it like it's about teenagers and like they didn't they're all like this kind of like intersexed emo like just like uh, just a god awful movie and then the bringing Jamie Lee back in this, like, girl boss kind of... Oh, just Fern... And that actress that's always overused in everything now, Judy Greer, Fern Mayo from Jawbreaker. And they they put her in everything. She's really not an appealing actress. Like, she always plays, like, the daughter, or the mother, you know.
2: The, the bland mom, yeah, the bland
1: mom. Yeah. I'm like, just enjoying
2: her? this because because last year, or whenever that movie came out, I don't remember when it came out, we did a... An, podcast episode and i was the only person to not like it and i was killed in that episode because oh no! here's the
0: thing these movies will (laughs) all right a lot of these movies in the moment will be like oh yeah that was all right that was better than whatever came before and then you know four months will pass and you'll go yeah that that movie was actually kind of a piece of shit wasn't it huh Mm -hmm, you get blinded by the spectacle in the moment because you want to like it and That's then, what I
1: call the the Joker and A Star Is Born phenomenon with modern movies, where the bar is so low that if you go in thinking it's going to be so bad, if it does, if it's even like competent for a minute, you're like, that was pretty good. But no, like Joker and A Star Is Born are both god awful pieces of shit.
0: Um, uh, Lady Lady
1: Gaga, Bradley Uh. Cooper, like, but everybody saw it, including me and had the same reaction where it was like, actually it's not that bad. And then two (laughs) years passed. You're like, no, that was really, really bland and bad. And like, just just because movies overall are so dead that, that, that stood out like those formless, horrible Lady Gaga songs. but yeah, it's uh, the the Joker is kind of the same where like the the whole fun of it which I really liked was them telling you that like uh you know, white white supremacists incels are going to kill you if you go see the yeah. movie. <laughs> so the whole media buzz around it that you're going to go get killed if you see this really like generic like Instagram looking movie, you know, that was fun, but the movie itself
0: doesn't hold up. Uh what do you think it would take to get back to like a real era of filmmaking. I think the last real era of filmmaking is probably, I mean, I'd even hesitate to say it was the aughts. I i really feel like the nineties w- was really when it, when it ended. Have you, uh, are you familiar with the book? I think it's just called best year ever, 1999. And they detail mm-hmm. all the blockbusters that came out that year. Uh, it's a very good read a- and it kind of feels like that was the, that was the point where it was just all downhill following. Yeah.
1: What, would have to happen, okay? Um, 10 years of liberal brainwashing would have to be undone, basically. I think a new generation of people, millennials are done for. Millennials are religiously insane freaks that don't have an ounce of creativity and they believe any rule that they're fed by the media. They think it's all real. Um, Millennials are not capable of making a good movie. It's never gonna happen. It's gonna have to be in the future where somebody once and for all decides to that the opinions of the liberal media do not matter and the little rules about what how you're supposed to make a movie do not matter so it's gonna to have to be done outside of the system you know which it's relatively easy to do that i don't I don't think that like a large scale um, expensive block Buster movie with the genuine like crazy creative vision will ever happen again. I think Blade Runner 2049 was probably the last time that they let that happen. And it was not profitable for them. It just got through um, with this on this nostalgia boom for reboots. Uh, But also the screenwriter is like 80 years old. And so that's why it has this uh, uh, delightful and smart kind of uh, misogyny about it (laughs) that was heavily criticized and but actually speaks to the time that we're living in um, as opposed to all the rest of the movies that are coming out now that have nothing to do. They're like vacuum sealed and don't have anything to do with anything anyone is experiencing now. So basically you will have to unlearn everything that liberals have taught you about cultural appropriation, about uh, you know sexual abuse, about uh, the like what you're supposed to do with actors, um about uh racism all of that stuff will have to be undone in order for anyone to make anything that resonates artistically with
0: anyone and what's your optimism about that happening i don't have any optimism about it. <laughs> yeah, no I,
1: I, like movies i talk about as something in the past that ended i think you know i think i think of um nymphomaniac is kind of maybe the last great epic movie that was like 2015 that was right when woke liberalism took over well let me ask you do you think this this rule applies
0: to foreign films
1: yeah foreign films aren't as good anymore either because they're all kind of um uh you know the there was the big scandal over the the french movie cuties last year okay which is Something that in 2005 would have been released by Fox Searchlight with a PG 13 rating and nobody would have even talked about it. Um, but I think all the like foreign films that I'm seeing, except for like Gaspar or No, they're all pretty sanitized and um, gray, neoliberal, uh, safe. Like, you know, Luca Guadagnino was good. Um, but again, how old is he? Isn't he like in his fifties? Like, um,
2: so are you saying you're not excited for the non-binary Dune that's coming out later this year? No. Bellevue is that's the director,
1: right? Then Villeneuve. uh, no, that's like, <laughs> that's like Villeneuve who directed Blade Runner 2049. But I think that Blade Runner 2049 was brilliant because of the screenplay and because right. Villeneuve did not understand that that would be perceived as misogynist when he was making it. Like, I think it was kind of an accident that the message of that movie got through.
0: We'll we'll say from this past year, then, have you watched any films that you thought have been a cut above? In 2020,
1: the only good movie was The Hunt. Um, I liked that a lot. It was uh well made it looked good it uh was genuinely surprising and funny and um That was the movie about uh
0: they're like hunting Trump supporters or something right Yeah they're what? hunting Trump supporters and it was and... the the controversy about that that got the release delayed okay Yeah mm-hmm. I haven't see, I haven't checked it's that out you haven't good. checked that out it's good
1: um that was the only thing No, everything else like I just see because I like the act of going to the theater and sometimes it's like, like everything is sort of okay. Everything is either okay or noticeably incompetent and bad. Um, I, let's see the last new movie I watched was Wonder Woman nineteen eighty four. Um, which, you know, for how much that's criticized, it's not substantially worse than um, anything else that comes out now, and it's exactly the same as the first movie, so they should give that Best Picture um, (laughs) 2021. Sure, Wonder Woman 1984, Best Picture. Just Nothing means anything. Just do it. Give her an Oscar. Those movies are saved by her... um, I don't know if I can say the R word on here. Her R-wordation. Um she Which has a word
2: this kind of, hold on hold on because because I I've, I've done that but then
1: I have to say the word because it's confusing as to what word you mean, you oh, mean yeah. Gal Gadot's, the wonder woman movies are saved by Gal Gadot's retardation like she oh. has a kind of compelling uh, <laughs> presence where she doesn't she... seem to know what's going on and she just seems like this nice like statuesque pretty person like I'm like the yeah. sour faced bitches like Jessica Chastain the the battle axe sour faced bitches of today Jessica Chastain uh Carrie Mulligan uh, what's that? Brie Larson, just, you know, featureless, just a dotted line, nothing, no features, but Gal Gadot is just like, hello, I haven't laughed this much in a long time, like, she's just, <laughs> this, has this nicely, uh, ethereal, spacey, foreign presence that I think, uh, my boyfriend put it really well, he said that she would have had a huge career in the 80s and, like, sword and sorcery things, like, um, what's her name that was married to, uh, Stallone, uh, Brigitte Nielsen. Brigitte Nielsen. She's yeah, like, yeah. She kind of like, you know, you just need to use her well. Right. <laughs> she's yeah. like, you
2: know, she, she forgets that she has power throughout the movie and you believe that she forgets.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know how I it's had like, power, cool. but like total I confidence just too, because she's just like a beautiful yeah. uh, like rich person who's never had to worry about a thing in her entire life. Seems like a nice person that would like send you gifts, gift baskets on set, but be kind of like strange and... The
0: day of that kind of actress is certainly dead. Uh, promising young woman is, is now what we're <laughs> supposed to go to the theater to go see with Ooh, and... is,
1: I, I hated her since shame like that, that rendition of New York, New York in that movie should have ended that girl's career. And it did for a while. And then they brought her back. Um, I have hated her so much. Like I, I remember listening to NPR at one point and uh, like, back in, like, 2014 or something, and, like, Terry Gross is asking her, it was so brave of you to do nudity. How did you do that? And she was like, well, I made sure to drink a bunch of beer beforehand, and I wanted to look really bad. And, like, she's the dumbest actress of all time. She just showed her tits. <laughs> that was it.
2: Yeah, it was, <laughs> there was nothing but but
1: They <laughs> have to frame it in this way, like, okay, uh, I'm a thin, beautiful person chosen by Hollywood, but I can only show my body if I drink beer and make sure to look bloated it's like the kind of humble bragging it's just reprehensible right. it's all
0: artistic choices across the board it's all very well thought out of course uh-huh. um yeah i have no interest in seeing that movie or any i mean i looked at like uh the presumptive uh, best picture nominations and i recognized maybe about like one of them uh they're all man? terrible they're all like social activist films.
1: You That's you give it the Wonder Woman 1984. I think that would be hilarious to just look at the <laughs> look at the list of best picture winners and that would be on what there happened? appropriately. What
2: happened that year? We were shut down for a year. <laughs> we couldn't leave our houses.
1: <laughs> they should nominate everyone in it for all the awards. Robin Wright Penn should was should get an Oscar nomination best supporting actress for her like 10 minutes at the beginning when she's standing in front of a green screen. <laughs>
0: a lot of people a lot of people did not like that that, i mean they tried to claim he was like a trump clone but he's really just like ricardo montalban in that movie i didn't i maybe i'm just like dumb when it comes to these trump uh uh vibes but i thought all right just because he's a rich guy doesn't mean this or that i mean they were probably thinking that of course i didn't think
1: Wonder woman 1984 was was terribly um on the nose about any kind of like trump Uh, satire because they knew who would be seeing that movie which is which is you know like uh, people wearing you know like the taco bell shirts from target and you know like the just big fat people going milling into the theater and staring at their phone the whole time they knew that was gonna some of those people voted for trump they didn't want to make it too obvious it
0: felt it felt like uh it felt like a 90s action film You know, we we don't really have too many of those uh, nowadays. They all fit that Disney mold, that perfect Disney mold. Uh, But I think uh, the Warner Brothers movies do tend to feel like they 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 touch back on that sort of superhero film of of the 90s, in in my opinion, a little bit more. Um, Not necessarily in a good way. Not, it kind of, you know what yeah. it reminded me of it reminded me of batman forever that's what it reminded me of i think we said that mm-hmm. on the show when we were talking about the batman movies it had that kind of vibe to it where it was just silly cartoony uh and they weren't ultra concerned with like building the infrastructure of whatever it is that they're working on for the future what, what? That's they... a... go ahead no, i'm sorry
2: no, but i mean that, that that's the problem with that whole formula right that People don't realize how shitty it is until someone steps out of it a little bit, and then once that's criticized, then they can look back at the other uh, the other stuff, and it's like, well, this is just formulaic, pain by numbers shit. And then when they try to do something different, I'm, I mean, I'm sure Patty Jenkins is not going to get the third one right after this. Uh, so it's yeah, probably why just no
0: go Patty back Jenkins. To- no, she's going to get three, four, five. They want a female director. Yeah, I right? mean, She'll she's know. a
1: woman. They're going to let her do whatever. They'll. Uh, They'll slap any woman's name on any movie. She'll probably do the
0: next Batman movie. They'll give her, they'll give her whatever she wants. Uh,
1: And immune to criticism because criticizing the product would be sexist. So, uh, but like the what makes those Marvel movies, those franchise movies, so unwatchable to me is that there's never any space to relax. They're all three hours long, which I like Every long, longer than it needs to be. But long stuff has to like be boring as well. You have to have space to absorb. And those Marvel movies are just constant events and constant plot. And it never pauses for a moment. And as a person who doesn't follow plots, I'm like, what is any of this just video game cacophony? <laughs> but it's, it's so exhausting how they're all three hours of that, where it's just like, oh, we did the thing with the diamond. And then this... Like the Batman Forever, like or those Joel Schumacher Batman movies, I think would at least have like a scene where it paused, where the action paused, where it would show him at like the Batman or whatever. But the Marvel stuff, it's just literally like listening to someone play a video game in another room.
2: Yeah, the Schumacher ones have like musical numbers
0: and like they have seal uh, ice They've skating numbers too. and yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they, have,
1: they
2: have like dancing big dancing mm-hmm. numbers or. Or fights where nobody punches anyone. is just, you know, faking the punches and yeah, whatnot. Which was
0: especially necessary with Batman Forever because Val Kilmer was so boring. He was so dull. He's the worst <laughs> Batman. He he brought nothing at all to the... Like, George Clooney at least had, like, his ER charisma, which is not, like, even really a thing. He's just kind of, you know, he is what he is. But Val Kilmer is just a void. Val he, Kilmer
2: just brought his lips for that mask, and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> it's just... Powdy lips for the mask and nothing else.
0: Uh, Jack, on an unrelated note, you are probably the only person I follow who is uh, who's a viewer of the show Survivor. So I wanted to ask you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, what is your favorite Survivor season? Or who's your favorite Survivor player?
1: Um, my favorite Survivor season is season five, the China one, which is extremely bleak and full of just like heinously unlikable people and a like sociopathic, dead-eyed serial killer type winner, Brian Heidick. Yeah, he was the one that had done like Skinemax porn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the the er- basically all Survivor seasons are masterful through, I would say twenty. Uh, like heroes versus villains is. Rightfully regarded as the best season because it has all the best characters together, the most hilarious ending that Sandra wins twice <laughs> despite doing nothing. Uh, like, um, but the early ones where they put a lot of effort into it, they genuinely tortured the people. Like they used to actually starve them, and now Survivor, they clearly have just are sitting on massive bags of rice and they never lose any weight and never get substantially dirty. Um, But the early ones, they really tortured them in the spirit of early reality television. And I loved the ridiculous finales that were, like, three hours long, where they would have to say goodbye with the torches to every (laughs) single person. Oh, yeah. Um, They're also extremely on PC, like, everything that goes on in those early seasons. When I think about, like, um, remember the Dreams controversy, where that guy, uh, this guy named Dreams with a Z he was supposed to give another guy a car that he
0: won and he just and didn't do the it. the car, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he was homeless too. He was homeless and he was always talking about, oh yeah, me and my mom, we were living out on the street. She was addicted to drugs. And then he makes the deal with Yao Man, who's like this Mr. Miyagi uh, Asian guy. And he's like, yeah, I'll give you immunity Sucker. if you give me the car. And then he wins the immunity and he keeps it. And he's like, well... I didn't really Good. mean it. Sorry, it's a it's Playing a game. the game, right? Playing the this game. the name
1: "Dreams" with a Z under him. <laughs> it's the funniest shit you've ever seen. Yeah. You trust that guy. Yeah, yeah, and I, lots of really like heinously unlikable, uh, amoral, gay people. Like Richard Hatch, is such a great character. Um, but yeah, I like the the boring, torturous. Um, uneven first ones but the China China one aside from heroes versus villains is definitely my favorite but Survivor is still really good they had they've remained um, impressively unwoke in the current climate but they did have a big like stupid me too controversy oh, because yeah. of this so fake so fake but, the last so it's two seasons
0: the last two seasons have been uh, especially painful for that like they had a season not this last one which was all winners which I thought was a very good season, had a great Mm -hmm. conclusion to it. Uh, The one before that, they had a very um, stereotypical Hollywood kind of guy, agent. And uh, he was always touching on the girls. He loved feeling the girls, these young girls, this 50-year-old man. And
1: he also seemed gay.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Dan Spilo was his name. And... um, you know, they made a big storyline out of it, and then uh, the girl who was like the primary accuser against him got voted out, and he was still in it for a while, and then they just kind of quietly pulled him from the show right before the finale, and I've heard uh, from people behind the scenes of that, that he was probably going to win the show, that mm-hmm. they didn't want to show any of that, they didn't want to have like a, I, I don't know if you watch the VH1 uh. shows, like a Ryan Jenkins situation. Ryan Jenkins was a guy on I Love Money who who won one of the seasons that didn't air, and wound up killing a prostitute and wanted his <laughs> his winnings before uh, the show aired. And oh. then couldn't get him and killed himself. And they were like, fuck, now we can't air this season. Oh, my God. Uh, the winner's a uh, suicide murderer, well, you know?
1: Also, I remember uh, that they, um, on that Me Too season, like, all the other cast members hated that girl and, like, yeah. were defending him. But they, like, pre-taped that finale so that nobody could do that. Yeah, <laughs> they, yeah, yeah. You know, they didn't want anyone to be able to say how, like, crazy that girl was. Um, But, you know, my favorite winner of all time, absolute legend, and the greatest character, Sandra Diaz-Twine, the laziest piece of shit. <laughs> I absolutely <laughs> love And she just, won, the only person that's won twice, or I guess there's now. No, winners, no now there's right? Tony, um, yeah. But yeah, before that, the only person that's won ty- twice is just scowling, sitting on a log, doing nothing, <laughs> not participating in the challenges, being unpleasant to everyone. Um, I actually, my notebook, my my TPN notebook has a uh, sandworm <laughs> on it. Queen stays queen.
0: Um, Hans, isn't that your mom? <laughs> <laughs> No, she really is just like a schlubby, bad attitude, Puerto Rican girl. Who... Yeah,
1: she's amazing. Yeah, she's <laughs> And great. I love what they, that season where recently where they brought like Rob and her back to like give advice on how to win. And she just, her advice is just to nod along with Rob. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <you> know?
0: <laughs> she doesn't even speak English. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> yeah, she's, she's incredible. Just scowling the whole time, just just. What a queen. She was so bitter the second time where uh, I guess Rob didn't tell her he was going to play the following season. And she was really pissed about that so much so that she voted his wife out, who was a former winner first. Like she <laughs> organized a vote to get rid of his wife.
2: So, oh, she, so I don't rude. know. It all sounds to me like she's playing the game the right way. You know, she's not exerting herself physically. You know, she's not making friends with people that are very unlikable or that she want to have nothing to, you know, in common with.
1: She sounds, well, yeah. you know, the, the trope of Survivor that, like, really makes it transcend and also makes it so infuriating is that, like, the person who deserves to win, like, uh, never wins. almost Like, unless they're clearly, like, dropping idols at them, which they have done. Like, that, like, hot army guy that, you know, a few seasons ago, they were clearly just dropping idols at him to get him to win. But, like, it's always... Usually, some unremarkable brunette that just was a goat the whole time yeah. and coasted to the didn't <laughs> piss anyone off, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just coasted through the whole. Right. Thing, the so. b-
0: the best player always gets second place. They get robbed. Yeah. With the Russell Hance kind of, uh, uh, you know type of player big brother's been especially egregious with that lately do you watch big brother at all no i've actually never watched it it's uh it's fairly similar to survivor i mean nowadays it's awful it's really Mm. bad and every season is just like there's some kind of social controversy because you know uh a lot of the black people don't do so well on that show and it always Mm. becomes well you know there's there's quiet racism in the house even though there's cameras you know 24 7 you would be able to see but they'll be like well you know he called her a thug one time. So and then the season will just get like fucking blacklisted after the fact. They'll just. Do you retroactively... remember the
1: Survivor season where they divided them by race?
0: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that was that amazing. Was... <laughs> that was like. What?
1: <laughs>
0: they did do a it season. Was, I
1: can't believe they did it. It was like 2004, but they divided them by race.
0: Here's the, yeah the storyline. Yeah, and I or won't
1: th- say the best, but they did. They I did a that.
0: tribe: of black people, Hispanic people, Asian people, white people. The white people came into the merge with... So, like, uh, because they swapped the tribes up and they merged them, uh, they wound up merging at nine people. It was five white people, four minorities, and the Jewish white guy flips over to the minority tribe to give them the vote, and then they pick off all the white people afterward, and that was, like, the the big season. And then the Korean wins. Korea yeah, reigns I supreme.
1: Real, I think they even got flack for that in, like, 2005 when no one cared about anything like that, and they could get, get away with whatever they wanted. Cause it feels like they uh, do away with the rent, the racial division thing pretty quickly, but yeah. it's, it's funny that they did it at all. They're,
0: they're trying to, they're going to do that again with, uh, for whenever they pick up filming, they've agreed to do a 50% by POC, which I guess is black and indigenous POC cast. So, uh, that that'll be great i'm sure i'll see everyone's gonna get me too
1: they're gonna do a whole you know a full trans season and everybody's gonna be me tooing everyone else for attention
0: it'll be wonderful i mean they that i this this is the end of all of this i think i think i think they'll be lucky to get one season filmed it'll be a miracle if it gets aired after yeah. after like the whole me too controversy of the first time like people are going to be on guard and it's survivor you gotta cuddle up next to people at night to keep warm you're probably freezing your ass off it's and it getting, was getting already stuck.
1: it had already become so like safe and formulaic like at that point like you know it really is more like an amusement park ride on rails you know the but before that it was just total chaos and they really wanted to stir things up and have dramatic, crazy stuff happen because that was how reality television was at the beginning. Mm. But now it's very like Fake. I guess we have to follow this formula of awarding the most oppressed minority or, you know, like yeah, I I would be surprised if Survivor lasts that much longer.
0: Yeah. I think I think once you know, once all these networks are kind of done uh finally and it all just goes over to streaming, once it's all Paramount Plus then you'll probably see those picked off, but I don't know. Maybe, maybe survival will have a new life. I know that they put the uh, they put Heroes vs. Villains in some other season on Netflix recently, and that has uh, given it a little bit of a boom.
1: They, I don't know if they're still on there, but when I was going through and watching all of the old seasons like three or four years ago, they put them all on Hulu, but like lots of episodes were missing from the early ones. Mm. So they're, I don't know if it's music rights, they were just weirdly. Missing episodes, but I would pay top dollar for a like complete Survivor set, as, or even like the first like ten seasons. um
0: They're out there. I do they I'm not actually, release a matter them? Matter of fact, That's I've weird. got oh, they I've got one right here first... on me. I actually, just brought them from my parents. Oh, nice.
1: Place. No, they they haven't released them all though. I don't think. Like I think there's a big chunk missing, like in the middle, like in the early days of DVD. They released one through eight or something. I'm not quite sure, but if you were all put together, sure, I'd drop $500 on it. I don't...
0: (laughs) That's the best way to do it. Always buy physical media. Uh, All right. Since the last half hour has been about Survivor and not Exorcist to the Heretic, uh, why don't we just... We'll close out on that note. We're about to hit the 90-minute mark anyway. Uh, Jack, where can people find your podcast and everything that you're doing?
1: On uh, Patreon slash Perfume Nationalist and then there's a... There's a free feed on uh, Apple Podcasts. Every other episode is paywalled, so like uh, most of them are free at this point. But um, let's see, we just did an episode on Rosemary's Baby, and tonight we're recording one on uh, a strange collection of movies, Mara Saad, The Women, and Beauty for Sale. But um, Mm -hmm. we've got a lot of exciting guests
0: coming up. Oh boy, I'm I'm still working on your uh, your eight hour episode you did nine hours nine hours excuse me nine hours
1: nine Hans you think you could do
0: a nine hour you think you could sit here with me for nine hours and try to make conversation with me?
1: I mean, (laughs) I was I I I, but yeah, it was still like a, a harrowing experience.
2: I, I shared a bachelor apartment with two, you and two other men for a week. I'm pretty sure a studio I apartment.
0: A stu- uh-huh. We we yeah. shared a studio apartment for right. too long, way too long. It was terrible. Smelled awful. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, thanks so much for coming on the show. This was a blast to talk to you about uh, Survivor and Exorcist, and uh, uh, I'm looking forward to all the episodes you got lined up of your show. Yeah, thanks. It was a pleasure.